You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. I am here. Aaron's here. Tommy is calling in from Los Angeles, where he tweeted out his first ever view of Dodger Stadium live yesterday because you've never been to Dodger Stadium and you'll be there tonight for game one and you'll be there tomorrow night for game two and we will preview that here shortly but I know you were you know you you definitely had some angst over the schedule that you were going to have following Tuesday night's game very little sleep had to catch an early flight you know how you feeling how did it work out for you you know I'm kind of stunned but I feel pretty good I mean, it was it was been a pretty crazy twenty four hours, thirty six hours or so. Because uh, let's go back to the uh, wild card game Tuesday night, which was unbelievable. Yeah. From the sixth inning, and the sixth inning and seventh inning, I wrote what I think was a real damn good losing story <laughs> for for the Washington Nationals. Right. Pretty pretty good. Probably much better than the winning story. And then in the eighth inning. I had to tear all that up and write a whole new story. And I hadn't done that in a while. I mean, I, you know, years ago, I used to be used to it. Sometimes you'd write three stories in a matter of a half an hour uh, before the right one would, would wind up being the, the accurate one. Uh, but I was able to do that. But while I'm doing that, as the game ends, and everybody in the press box was the same way, you're trying to make uh, airplane arrangements. You're trying to make your flight reservations because you couldn't do it unless you knew you were going so I'm, I'm making my la arrangements in the middle of writing the story and it was just other chaos but it was a lot of fun and it's been a lot of fun ever since what was your deadline tuesday night when did you have to have to have your story written by okay well in the new age of of what we do you know there's the print edition and then there's the online edition right and the print edition is early. I mean, the, the 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 game didn't make the print edition, so there is no deadline. Once that goes, uh, the the days of the deadline are over. If you don't make the print edition, it's whenever whenever you get it in to post on the web. The only deadline is forcing people to stay up late to read it on the other side, the the editors. So there's right. no deadline anymore. Yeah, but you you have, whether it's online or going to be in print or, or both, you do have an editor that is standing by to read what you've yes. written. I certainly hope you have an editor, because I've seen your first draft before. It ain't pretty. Oh, yeah. 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 Are you kidding me? <laughs> Somebody asked me once. I mean, look at I, I don't I don't edit my stuff. The first <laughs> thing I write is usually the best thing I'm going to write. So what, but, what? Yeah, there's somebody waiting on the other end, and you know by that time it, it's it's close to midnight, and they want to go to bed. Right. So what was the first story about the Nats losing the wild card game? Why was it so good? Well, because I had written that this time there would be no stories to tell your your son or your grandson about the meltdown. There would be no fifth inning disaster. There would be no blowing of leads. There would be no epic failures to uh, to recount years from now. They just crawled into the stadium, and then they crawled out. <laughs> and you liked it, huh? It was a good one. I think. Well, it was. Do, I mean, they were losing three to one with three hits. 
I know. Going into the eighth inning. They were going down with a whimper. Yeah. Don't you think um, that you are uh, – um, uh, look, I, you know I, I love the way you write, and I love the way it's so easy to consume your columns, and I think you are, by the way, much funnier as a writer than you are as a host. But you're funny as a host, but you can be really funny as a writer. Like, I have found myself reading your columns and laughing out loud at one-liners before. Um, but don't you think you are better – when you are on the attack? Not, well, you know why? Because I've gotten so much practice covering Washington sports doing it in a way. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, let's say if I was in New England covering Boston sports, I might, I, you know, it might be totally different. I mean, I haven't had much practice <laughs> at the other part. Right. Covering Washington sports teams. Yeah. Well, you, uh, I mean, who's to say? Yeah. Well, you are right. Like, if it if they had just come in and crawled out in a whimper in a three one game, you know, it certainly wouldn't compare to you know the 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 six nothing blown lead in twenty twelve or you know the Drew Storen you know in twenty fourteen against the yeah. Giants in game two or Scherzer you know giving up one home run to Jock Peterson and then getting yanked for five relievers and they're they're getting crushed you know twenty minutes later and then of course the crazy fifth inning against the Cubs in twenty seventeen you wouldn't have had that I, I you know Tommy. We we had a lot of we had a long conversation about who the pitcher should have been, and you made a very strong case why Max should be starting that 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 game on Tuesday night. And you said that it would really not go over well in the clubhouse if he didn't start that game. They're lucky that they survived that game. I mean, when you think about it, they didn't start the right pitcher from a giving them the best chance to win standpoint. Strasburg would have been that guy. And they needed one of the best closers in the sports to basically gag up a two-run lead with four outs left to, to avoid what would have been major scrutiny. That would have been – see, if they had lost that game 3-1, to one, to me, there's no getting around the fact that the major takeaway and the major story coming out of that game is that Dave Martinez started the wrong guy. Yes. You're absolutely right. Even though in a three-one in a three-run nine-inning game, it's hard to fault the pitchers. But you're right; that would have been the debate. And and I might want to point out, people get confused sometimes. So I I want to do this one more time. I wasn't saying who I thought right. should be the starting That's pitcher. Right. I was saying why they picked who they picked. And you're right; they they would have gotten roasted for not starting Strasburg. Uh, in that situation, particularly after Strasburg came in and was so dominant in relief. So dominant. So you had the evidence right in front of you to to see. So, yeah, and I don't think, I mean, right now, you know, the starting rotation is really up in the air, chaotic. But I think uh, we're past the idea that Max will be the guy in this postseason. I just think, I think they're going to give the ball to Strasburg as much as they can. Yeah, that that would be a major mistake right now based on what we've seen recently. Strasburg should be the starter before Max takes the ball in a start in this series. I don't know if – I think it's going to be tomorrow night, don't you? Probably. It probably will. Uh, I mean, I, I think so. I think it will be. I mean, you know, Dave Martinez was hedging his bets, but he says he could do it 
if he had to. So I think it'll be Strasburg. Do you think if they win tonight that that changes the way he thinks about tomorrow night? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think if they, I think if you win tonight, again in a five-game series, if you win tonight on the road, you're in the driver's seat. I mean, it, look, and you, you got Corbin going, uh, who's pitched very, pretty well against the Dodgers tonight. Uh, I mean, five-game series, game one is so important, but I don't think it changes because either uh, you're pitching Strasburg in game two. To to put the to put the Dodgers away two nothing in the series, or you're desperate enough to pit Strasburg in Game Two to make sure you come away with a split on the road. Yeah, the other reason to start Strasburg in Game Two is that you certainly could get him back by a Wednesday night fifth and deciding game to be the starter in that one too. You know, if you wait till yeah. Sunday, he's not starting on Wednesday. If you pitch him on Friday, he can start on Wednesday if need be in a fifth and deciding game. Back to, back to Tuesday night for a moment. I didn't go to the game. Um, I've been to a lot of those Game 5 uh, disasters. Maybe I should just stay away. I'm bad luck. Um, I said yesterday on the show that there's nothing better as a fan um, than that electric, you know, raucous, loud environment. You know, it's so cool to be a part of. And the other night was so special. But the reason it was so special and I've been to so many of these games like you have, whether in any sport, you know, football, basketball, baseball, there's nothing better and nothing that creates a better reaction and a more, you know, emotional and visceral and loud reaction than when you come from behind at home. When you think it's all over, you know, at three to one or three to nothing, and then you come back and you know the late portions of the game to take the lead, that's when a place gets so super loud and nutso as that place was the other night. What was it like to be there? Oh, it was it uh you know, the Jason Worth home run was a moment that like where the stadium just all of a sudden exploded. Uh you know, in that in that eight, as the bases were were loaded, you know, were were loaded at that point, the anticipation was pretty high. And with Soto at the plate, before he ever took a swing, the place was going nuts at that point, uh, just anticipating what could happen. So, I, as a fan, I remember the, and I wasn't at the stadium, but just remember how you could hear it through the TV, the Mets game six comeback. In you know in eighty yeah, six exactly the Red that was Sox. a comeback they got I mean, like three in the bottom of the tenth yeah. or whatever yeah I mean so that, that you're right absolutely the, the the comeback is is what what really fires up the crowd and that crowd was as fired up as any I've I've heard at Nationals Park it was a great crazy night yeah that's awesome but for but 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 for for about eight innings again it was it was kind of like a, a game a game without a pulse. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, because three minutes into it, at eight eleven p.m., it was two to no- <laughs> it was two to nothing, and and yeah. it was you know we we spent a lot of time talking about you know the details of the game the other night, and and we'll look forward more here on the podcast. But it was a very interesting game strategically, starting with the fact that Milwaukee decided their best chance um, was to go away from its personality of taking a lot of pitches and trying to generate a lot of walks by swinging early on on, on Max Scherzer, and it worked out. It totally worked out. Yes, it did. Um, 
and and that that was the that was an interesting thing uh, as well. All right, what about this series? Uh, you were there yesterday. You're out there. You're going to be here for the first two games. You know the Dodgers. I just had Dave Shinen on the radio show. I like Dave a lot, by the way. Um, and he um, he said there's just a ton of pressure on the on these Dodgers that you know their lack of of getting to the you know of winning a World Series with teams that were capable of doing it. They haven't won it since 1988. That there's a lot of pressure and they're feeling the pressure. And this is the first Nats team. You know, I don't know if there was a lot of pressure on them against the Cardinals, even though they were the number one seed um, in in 2012. It was their first postseason visit, but that they are sort of, you know, um, right now uh, without a lot of pressure, um, without a lot of expectation. What do you think? I think that's pretty accurate. The Dodgers have won seven straight division series. They've they've won two National League pennants in the past two years. Been to the World Series twice and uh, this is a town where championships matter i mean la is is is, is i mean we, i'm not saying it's a front-running town but but uh it is it's a competitive crazy sports market here and the dodgers have managed to probably claw their claw their way back to the top of that sports market after uh you know 10 or 12 years ago when the mccourts owned the team and they fell into disarray I mean, they drew almost 4 million fans this year at, at Dodger Stadium. But, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd agree with Dave that, that the pressure is uh, on them not to, not to go out, at least, in the first round in a division series to a team that, that literally has no bullpen. Again, no bullpen. Yeah, I mean, which you'll you have to – yeah, you'll have to use it too in a series where you didn't really have to expose it right. in a one-game wild card. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean you're you're gonna see you're gonna see pitchers who who are gonna make you cover your eyes for for the Washington <laughs> Nationals, and you've got to hope that two things that their starters go deep enough where that's minimal, and two that the offense like they did the other night, you know, uh, in a close game and still break out in a late inning and overcome any bullpen things. In other words, they're, they're going to have to bang their way, I think. Starting pitching and, and offensive uh, hitting is, is the way, and just uh, yeah. the bullpen, it's just going to be real interesting. You but know, the I, pressure is on the Dodgers. Did, did anybody talk to Davey after the game or, or yesterday? Um, Sean Doolittle clear. It was made very clear, I think, Tuesday night that Daniel Hudson's Hudson is his closer because you you had you had a lefty leading off the top of the ninth, and you could have gone Doolittle just against the lefty if you had wanted to, and then brought in Hudson. But he brought in Hudson no matter who who was you know uh, due up in the Brewers lineup. We learned that definitively on Tuesday night that that Hudson's going to be the closer, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I think they brought in Hudson because Hudson was up. I mean, they expected well, Hudson. Well, why? They knew who was going to lead off the ninth. Why didn't he get Doolittle up? Well, because, uh, I mean, when Hudson was up, they were down 3-1. to one. Well, they were, I mean, Oh, they, oh you know, you're, saying, at, at you're, you're saying that he was up in the eighth. I see what you're yeah. saying. Before the rally that gave him the yes. lead. I got it. But Yeah, he and, and so he would have pitched. He would have, you know, he would have pitched. You know, I mean, basically, they were pitching from behind. 
at that point. He was the guy who was up. I see what now, you're saying. That, Duke, that makes you know what I, I that makes total sense. I forgot about when Hudson got up. They didn't have the lead. They weren't thinking about a closing situation in the top of the ninth at that point. Makes right. total sense. And and but that still may be you know it still may work out the way you're saying. Right. Because Doolittle is is the only left-hander they've got in the bullpen. Yeah. So, I just you know, and 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 they're and they're going to need him maybe in situational moments, right? It, it, late in the game, so they they may be reluctant to use him as the closer because uh, they'll need that left-handed matchup situation maybe sometime. Um, this this will be so interesting. There are a lot of people. Um, first of all, I don't know if you know this. The Nats are a pretty big underdog in this series. They, I just looked up the latest numbers on on the sites that I use. I got the Dodgers at minus two twenty, Aaron, and minus two twenty five. I mean, they are. They're, I mean, Vegas is not giving the Nats anywhere near the chance that a lot of the analysts and experts are. You know, because I think a lot of the analysts and experts believe that that the winner of this series is going to the World Series, and that the Nats are the best opponent and the most likely opponent to beat the Dodgers of the other three National League teams. Um, but man, Vegas doesn't agree with that. What do you make of it? I agree with Vegas. The Dodgers are really good. They won 106 games. Uh, they can match up with the Nats' starting rotation. They can match up with the Nats offense throughout their lineup. Uh, and unlike the Nationals, they do have a bullpen. Uh, it's, it hasn't been without its own problems, but not to the massive extent that, that the Nationals have. It, it's, it, a lot of things will have to go Washington's way for them to beat the Dodgers in a five-game series. And the Dodgers, not that it matters that much, you know, they have the home field advantage, too. So all that combines. 106 wins this year, you know, I, I, I would have to agree with Vegas that what you're going to have to have with the Nationals is what happened in that eighth inning in the wild card game. Everything that usually happens to Washington is going to have to happen to the opponent. Right. Which, by that, the way, has, yeah, has happened to them at times themselves over the yes. last you know, uh, over the last 31 years, be, be, you know, be, between the time that Kirk Gibson hit the game one leadoff to beat the A's, yeah, and the game in or the game one walk off um, to beat the A's the year the last time they won a World Series, I I actually I, I don't know, I, Aaron, I don't know about you, I just play underdogs in the postseason because you're getting great value and it's a coin flip in these baseball series more times than not. You know, I looked this up yesterday. The Dodgers have lost in the second half of the season, three out of five games, three times in the second half of the season. You know, some of those, you know, three out of five losses included games like against the Marlins, you know? Like, it just happens. Like, he, the the best teams lose three out of five. That's why in these baseball playoffs, I don't know why you'd ever bet a favorite, personally. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, this is why a five-game series is so much more of a crapshoot than a seven-game series. Yeah. This is why I think if the, if the Nationals had ever gotten to a seven-game series in any of these times that they might have fared much better. And like people said to me, like, Tuesday night, who's going to win? I said, it's one game. 
they could be playing the Marlins tonight. And yeah, lose. yeah, we talked about that the you other know? day. I mean, just so you yeah. know, the Dodgers have lost four out of seven twice in the second half of the season. You know, against yeah. against a stretch of not great teams like the Diamondbacks and the Padres. So it just happens. Like, I, whatever. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in this series because, first of all, it's cool that they're playing the Dodgers again in the postseason. I like that. But the pitch, the, the starting pitching, I mean, you've got stars in this series. You've got Strasburg. This is what I wrote. This is this is what I wrote for for today's web column. Okay. I mean, and I, I I illustrated it by pointing out that this is as a side story. You've got this battle of MVP chance going. Rendon on. and Bellinger. This, yeah, they do the same thing at Dodger Stadium that they do at, at Nationals Park whenever Bellinger comes up, and that in a way illustrates the star power in this series. I mean, this is the this is the best baseball has to offer right now this five game series right and no doubt yeah. I, I mean you've got you've got a potential Cy Young winner unless you think it's DeGrom in in Ryu who's not even starting game one they're going with Bueller who clearly what that says is that they want Bueller for game five uh they think he's their true you know shutdown guy if, if they because they, they, he's the one that would be scheduled to pick pitch twice I don't know have they named their game two starters at Ryu or, or, or Kershaw they have not yet I don't think but you've got, you know, the Bellinger Rendon thing, as you mentioned. You've got all the star pitchers. Yeah, it's really th- this is probably the matchup in terms of the most stars in one series of the four, you know, division series. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it'll be good. Uh, and you could read my column in the WashingtonTimes.com. Click on sports. When I haven't seen this one that you did, you well, just it, finish? It just got, it's just no. It got posted last night. It's on today's okay. web. All right. I'll, I'll, here it is. I'm on your web page. I just okay. liked it. I just gave you a big uh, a big heart and liked it. I can't retweet <laughs> okay. it during the day because I'm required to retweet other stuff, but I, I can retweet your column late at night, which I've done okay. many times when you ask me to, which I like doing because I love reading your columns. I'm going to read this one as well. Um, I wanted to. Uh, so, all right, are we done with Nats Dodgers? Uh, I, I'm. By the way, I'm going to pick the Nats in four. I don't know why. I think the Dodgers are a choke franchise. They, 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 they just can't get it done. They're going to come up short, and I think it's going to be in this first series. So I'm going to bet them at plus 185, Aaron, or whatever it is, um, for the series. So I'm going to pick the Nats in four. You're picking the Dodgers in how many games? I'm picking the Dodgers in five games. In five games, okay. Again, I just. I, I just don't see how you can get by with – look, I think they have a better chance, in, again, in a five-game series. Yeah. I just don't see how you can get by without that bullpen. I mean, since the bullpen seems to be so important in postseason baseball. Understood. A uh, quick word about mybookie.ag. If you want to bet the Nats uh, as a prohibitive underdog in this series, go to mybookie.ag. They've got every sort of proposition bet, series, game, obviously with football, straight bets, teasers, parlays, halftime lines, in-game action. They've got it all. I've mentioned this uh, to you many times in the past. For those of you that don't have a place to wager and you want to, First of all, tread lightly, because gambling's not for everybody. But if you want to bet on games, you need to do it with a group and with a site that's reliable, because there are a lot of them out there that aren't. MyBookie.ag is. Where you bet is very much important, and sometimes as important as who or what you're betting on. You want reliability, and you want fast payouts with solid, fair 
point spreads, and you get that with mybookie.ag. Now, if you use my code, they will double your first deposit. Go to mybookie.ag today, enter my promo code, KevinDC, that's K-E-V-I-N-D-C, it'll activate the offer, and it'll double your first deposit. That's KevinDC after you go to mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. We'll get to the Redskins shortly um, and what Jay Gruden said yesterday because it certainly would appear that we are headed towards a Colt Levero start on Sunday against the Patriots. But I wanted to ask you about something because I talked about it on the radio show this morning and I didn't see all of this stuff until late yesterday um, about Tony Kornheiser's comments about the front page of the sports section in the post yesterday. So let me catch everybody up to speed. Um, The post yesterday, the print edition front page of its sports section, if you didn't see it, um, they put the Mystics Game 2 loss to Connecticut at the very top of the sports section's top page, front page, with the headline, Deladon Hurt as Sun Draws Even. Now, for those of you that don't know what that means, that's about the Mystics' best player, Elena Deladon. She was the league MVP. The Sun is the Connecticut Sun. That's the team that the Mystics are right now playing in the WNBA Finals. I'm I'm being specific about that because I think there are a lot of people that actually don't know um, what's going on in the WNBA Finals. But the Mystics are a really good team. The series is dead even at one game apiece. And they played game two on Tuesday night, same night that the Nats were playing uh, the Brewers in the wild card game. And on Wednesday morning, uh, the Post put the Mystics-Connecticut game at the top or above the fold. That's what they call it, right, Tommy? Above the yes. fold. And for the rest of the front page of the sports section, and probably two-thirds, the remaining two-thirds of that uh, front page, was the Nats game where they had the headline, Juan for the money, as in Juan for Juan Soto and his big hit. So Tony had a problem with the choice that I guess the editors make. Tommy, is it the editors that make these decisions? Yes, they do. Okay, so on his podcast yesterday, he said it's insane that the Washington Post stripped that Mystics game across the top. The Nats got the bigger play, and he's saying that they got more of that front page. But you've got to be kidding me. And he said, I I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You know, he just didn't think that the Mystics deserved that. By the way, um, he, he drew a ton of criticism for those comments, including a comment from a reporter at The Post. Her name is Ava Wallace. I don't know what she writes. But she responded on Twitter saying, imagine watching the Nats win. This is in response to Tony's response. Imagine watching the Nats win and feeling those beautiful feelings and seeing that giant happy picture on the front page and then thinking, you know what soured this? The presence of women. How utterly pathetic is what Ava Wallace, she's a reporter for the Post, I think, what she tweeted out. I know Tony pretty well. I can guarantee you that Ava completely missed the point. It had nothing to do with women. It had to do with which one of these two teams deserved the the above-the-fold headline positioning. He would have felt the same way had D.C. United been above the fold versus the Nats off of the wild card win being in that spot. In my view, Tommy, he's 100% right. Now, I don't understand the inner workings of this, and this is why I'm going to rely on you to help me here, but... 
from the perspective of being a reader, being a post subscriber, I still get the post delivered. Now, I don't always read the print edition. I read the online edition probably more. But I love Sunday mornings with my Washington Post sports section, and I get the New York Times delivered on Sunday as well with coffee and breakfast and a bagel. I like that. I like the print edition. I still get USA Today's Friday edition because I like the sports (laughs) section in USA Today, and I like to spread it out even though it's been reduced to like two and a half pages. But my perspective is from what my expectations of the post would be, and that may be, by the way, at complete odds with what makes better business sense, what makes better editorial sense. I don't know, but I would have thought that and well, I, it's not what I would think. I know that there is a significantly bigger audience for the Nats wildcard game than for the Mystics WNBA championship game. I promise you that there is no chance that the p- number of people interested in that Mystics game isn't a tiny fraction of the number of people interested in the Nats Brewers game. So I ask you, was that a mistake? I don't know if it was a mistake. It's, it wouldn't have been. Again, it's a judgment call, so I don't think it's a mistake. I mean, Dan Steinberg tweeted something I thought that was pretty accurate. What did he tweet? It, I didn't read it. Well, basically he said, you know, if they made these judgments solely on who would read the stories, then they'd run Dallas Cowboy stories and car crashes in the paper, and that would be it. I mean, if you made if you made decisions based on, you know, how many clicks use the the the, the, uh, the online term? But how many eyeballs you get to a story? You know, you, you, you'd well, run that, cowboy stories okay, and you well, run I, car I, crashes. All that, that. That's one piece of this. Like if you're just in it to draw eyeballs, okay, that's a good answer. Well, no, but from an editorial that's, that's, standpoint, from an editorial standpoint, I mean, do you really come to the conclusion that the Mystics get top billing over the Nats winning a wild card game? No. No, no, you don't. Okay. But that, that's it. But again, it's it's not. I don't know if there's a right or wrong. It's a judgment call in in, in something like this. I mean, look, I I I am I am I have led the parade against the idea that we have some kind of obligation to cover women's sports because it's the right thing to do. I mean, I I've I've led that. I mean, I, we basically. This is this is a business. This is not a nonprofit, uh, you know, operation, and and you know, uh, so I, I I'm all in, I, I understand what Tony's saying, and I agree with him to some extent. There there can't be any debate that it's not even close that what the more significant story is to your readership are the Nationals over the Mystics, but I don't have as big a problem with the placement as he does. I don't think it's insane. I think and. and and part of what's going on here is, I know what I know the way the I know what editors think, particularly editors at the Post, <laughs> yeah. and they have an agenda uh, that comes through. I've seen it with Olympic coverage. Uh, I've seen it before with, with other coverage. Uh, you know, it's just I mean they they have a, a certain uh, uh, feeling that uh, they have some kind of greater duty. Here in terms and and it makes them look good among their other editors uh, in the business at the New York Times and the L.A. Times, which is all they really compete with in terms of that. So there's a lot going on here. I don't think it's insane. I think it was the wrong decision. 
But again, it's a judgment call. Aaron, what did you want to say? I was saying, I don't know if that it was much as an editorial decision to put it top as it was a design decision. With with the way they laid that out, and especially with that weird ad across the bottom, which, by the way, I find more offensive than anything. What was the ad? There's, there like, the bottom inch or so was just a big ad across the bottom that took up some space. But, um... The way that they did with the like kind of three quarters of it on the Nats and then just kind of that top thing, I it seems like the post, especially the post in general, when they have a layout like that, they put the one smaller story up top and then the rest of the page is the one big story. So I feel like it's almost a design decision more than an editorial decision. Yeah, that I mean, may be right. It may that be. may be right. And by the way, ads on on the front pages of of sections, that's only something that's happened in the in. Uh, in the last 10 or 12 years or so, or maybe longer. But, I mean, for years, you would never put an ad on the front page of the sports section. But now, I mean, I'm surprised they don't put them on the front page, period. I I think you would have been – I think you you may have been okay with the insane description had it been like a FIFA qualifier that they put up there. If it had been soccer, you probably would have been more upset. I don't know. I, I mean <laughs> – Here's the here's the bottom line in this day and age. I don't really care because I don't use the print edition as the primary way. I don't use the the post sports section as a way to really get news anymore. I mean it's it's too outdated. And even online, with all due respect, because I like a lot of the columnists. I love Barry. I love Dave Shinen. I love Sally. You know, and I like I like so, uh, many of their columnists. Um, but I don't, the post doesn't break stories, you know, their beat reporters really don't break a lot of stories when it comes to the teams that I care about. You get more of that from, you know, some of the bloggers and some of the people on sports talk radio or some of the people, you know, that are, uh, you know, beat reporters for sports talk radio stations or, uh, in town than you do from the post. But I do like the columns, but I, I didn't see it before the radio show and before the podcast yesterday, but afterwards I, I looked at it, and if I had seen that first thing in the morning, I would have been surprised at that. Very surprised. I, I understand the reaction completely. I mean, it's the, the Mystics, Tommy, the game nationally on television did a 0.36 rating nationally. That's barely even a number that registers. I have no idea what it did locally. I don't think they'll release that number. Um, the Nats game, by the way, because you know I love this stuff, did an 8.8 local rating on TBS the other night, which actually uh, isn't that – it's it's lower than I would have thought it would have been. Um, yeah, same with me. Now, it's I'm TBS. That. It's TBS. It's not network. You know, there is, uh, you know, a cable versus network. I don't know – I'm not a ratings expert, so I don't know if that's a huge difference anymore. I know it's some difference because there are people in homes without cable television. So they couldn't see the game on TBS. They would have been able to see the game had it been on Fox, as an example. Um, Actually, there's a lot more people now without cable television than there have been in maybe in the past 10 years. With some people of the... Are- yeah, because they're, cutting. yeah, they're 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 right. They're they're getting it from all those yeah. other places. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, the Nats as an exam as a comparison for Game Five against the Cardinals in 2012 did a 16.7, did a 10.3 in Game Five against the Dodgers in 2016. I couldn't find the Cubs number, but if my memory serves me correctly, it was like a 14 or a 15 in Game Five against the Cubs. So I am surprised that it was an 8.8. I would have thought it would have been a little bit higher. Um. But yeah, you know, so would I. yeah, but 
By the way, just also as another sort of, uh, as an aside, you know, I've talked a lot about how, and we've done this together, about how, you know, the Redskins fan base has been eroding, how the television ratings are awful. And, you know, when I did this this morning, a couple of people tweeted me and said, you know, well, you know, how about the Redskins ratings? Look, when we've ripped the Redskins television ratings, that's in comparison to what the Redskins used to do. Not in comparison to what other teams in town do. Because as bad as the Redskins are, as dysfunctional as they are, as much as their fan base has eroded, they are still by far and away the kings of sports television in this market. The game against the Giants on Sunday, which was a super low, near all-time low rating for the Redskins for a regular season game. And by the way, a bad game that was over early. It still did a 12.3. You know, the Nats playoff game did an 8.8. So it's still, you know, significantly higher than anything else. By the way, that 12.3, we didn't talk about this the other day. That 12.3 is what they seven, eight years ago would do for a preseason game. It's really yes, remarkable. Exactly. Remarkable. Yeah, the third preseason, the fourth preseason yeah. game. Yeah, I mean... It is so remarkable how far they've fallen. But for those that then will, by extension, will say, well, why do you talk so much Redskins on the podcast? Or why do you talk so much Redskins on the radio show? Well, because it's still, by far and away, the thing that appeals to the majority, the significant majority in this city, despite of how bad they are. Um, yeah, it's not just the Redskins. It's the NFL. It's the NFL I mean, too. In most, city, in, yes. in most cities, I'd be better this off. This is the way. This is the way it operates. We, to Dan's point, we'd be better off talking about the Cowboys on a daily basis if we were looking for the largest audience potential, even in this city, than talking about a couple of the other teams. Which I just will leave yes. out of the conversation for now. Yes, we Steinberg and I have had that discussion for years. That. Yeah. Who, what what paper would have the which paper would have the guts to start covering the Cowboys on a regular basis? Well, you know, I I swear to you, I have. We remember we did a couple of times we did we jokingly did like Ravens at one or Cowboys at one. Oh, yeah. you know, a couple of those yeah. years. Um, I do think. I mean, the Cowboys ratings wise, television ratings wise, have now you know. You know, and the Ravens too have outdrawn the Redskins late in regular seasons a couple of times the last few years. You know, people, I'm talking head to head, like one o'clock, one o'clock, four twenty five, four twenty five. So I have thought about with respect to the radio station, which you know we've been the rights holding Redskins. I, I don't even want to call it a partner because it's been far from a true partnership, <laughs> as you know. Um, but we've been their 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 flagship. We've been their rights holder in the market, carrying their games for years. And I wonder, you know, if this continues to spiral downward, if it wouldn't be better business carrying Cowboy games or Ravens <laughs> games. I'm I'm serious. I no, I would never. If I were the owner of the station or the program director, I would never suggest that. But I bet you that if you really got into it and delved into the deep, granular detail from a business standpoint, could make more sense. Now, I don't know if it makes more sense from an advertising standpoint because there are still advertisers locally that want to be affiliated with the Redskins, obviously, and the Redskins Absolutely. product. But it may not yes. do ratings wise as well. Especially late in the yeah. season, 
but you know, I, I, I've loved being a part of the station that's been the Redskins, uh, rights holder and broadcast, um, uh, affiliate, uh, because I, I got to be a part of that Redskins network for years and it was a lot of fun. All right. Um, yeah. let's get to the Redskins right after I thank Mama Lucia for bringing in lunch today. They brought in lasagna. It's excellent. You're missing it, Tommy. You're missing it. I'm not going to put it in the refrigerator and save it for you. Tuesday when you're back here, it's too long. But uh, <laughs> we'll ask them to bring this to you next week. But Mama Lucia's um, is awesome. They take good care of us. They bring us food every Thursday. Their pizzas are great. Um, they've got locations all over town. I go to the location in Bethesda on Elm Street. Um, they've got a location in Blair Park Shopping Center in Silver Spring. They've got one out in Rockville Pike. Um, locations all over town. Uh, Hillcrest Heights, uh, Fairfax uh, City Mall, etc. So check out Mama Lucia's great Italian, casual Italian for pizza, pasta, and more. All right, let's get to the Redskins. Jay Gruden spoke yesterday um, after practice, Tommy. I know you've probably only read the cuts. Uh, we'll play some of them. Um, but let me just tell you, you'll hear it in his voice, sarcastic, um, tired, um, frustrated with you know the media and the questions, and probably frustrated with a lot more. But this was Jay Gruden on whether or not he's ready to name a starting quarterback. This was yesterday afternoon. No, I said, well, I'm not going to name one right now. We have three, actually. Yeah, uh, but I said I'm not going to name one right now. It's uh, too early in the week. You know, Case still in a boot right now, and, and obviously uh, Colt. I got to see what he can do as far as getting a little bit more reps on his uh, in his repertoire, and then uh, and Dwayne as well. Repertoire. I love that. <laughs> um, by the way, real quickly, Colt McCoy was not on the injury list yesterday. So Case Keenum was. Colt McCoy wasn't. Um, this was Jay Gruden in t- in talking about just the decision process on the starting quarterback. I have to see some things for me to make the decision, and uh, that'll come out here at practice tomorrow. Really, um, hopefully after tomorrow's practice, I'll have a good indication who I'm going to play. Um, so yeah, I, in my mind, I have a pretty good plan. Jay. Contrary to belief. Contrary to belief on on the plan. <laughs> so. A little bit of sarcasm there, and he says he's he's got a plan. And I think by by the time some of you listen to this podcast, he may have already announced Colt McCoy is the starting quarterback Sunday against the Patriots. Here's a bigger macro answer as to the quarterback position and the lack of of what he says is the lack of consistency since he's been here at the quarterback position. Listen to this one. Well, it is the most important position in pro sports without a doubt you would love to have some continuity there some uh, uh, consistency there unfortunately we have not had that luxury here in a while and uh, until we get that luxury until we start to have that uh, it's probably when you'll see some different results but I feel good about all three quarterbacks I'll bring something different to the table we just got to settle on one and get them ready to go and uh, when that guy gets his opportunity they have to take advantage of it and dominate the position and never look back you know, I want to just mention real quickly because I've got one more soundbite to play for you that, um, which is more Dwayne Haskins specific. But he had consistency at that position from 2015 yes, to 2017. Now you yeah. can you can say fairly that because of the contract, you know, situation that it just was too much in flux as to whether or not he was going to be the long-term guy there. But he was the starter for three years, and he was a good fit 
for Jay Gruden's West Coast offense. You know, you've got to read defenses. You've got to know where to go with the ball. You've got to get it out quickly. And Kirk was a good fit for Jay Gruden. And by the way, Jay Gruden would admit that. That's one thing that Jay Gruden would admit. There may be things about Kirk he didn't like, like the fact that Kirk, you know, when Sean left and the team made the offer they made, had probably, you know, moved on. And I don't think he loved Kirk's backbone, you know, his competitiveness. But he was a good fit, uh, hence the, the seven franchise passing records he set with Jay Gruden on a team that wasn't that good. You know, the terrible defensive team, certainly in 2015 and 2016. Um, and, uh, and, and anyway, they had a chance to have some consistency at that position. That was my point. Didn't, but didn't Jay Gruden tell Patriot reporters on a conference call that when he, about what's his plan for quarterback, that he had no plan? Yeah, he was a little bit contradictory there. That, that okay. was, yeah. That, so that, when, when, I, when people say that, they're not making that up. He said that. Yeah, he. I think he did say that. I didn't listen to the yeah. – the, coaches do a conference call with the opponent's reporters. You know, Belichick did it with the Washington reporters on Tuesday. Man, was he complimentary of the Redskins. He was so funny. That was so – he must have been laughing his head off. I know. And, and Gruden does – you know, did the same with the New England, uh, you know, beat reporters yeah. – um, yesterday. Here's the last soundbite from Gruden that I wanted to play. Um, he talks about Dwayne Haskins and, you know, how you handle a guy like this and that there are multiple ways of handling, you know, a rookie quarterback. I don't Back think so. Forth. Not his first year. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, different quarterbacks, uh, you know, throughout the history of the NFL, uh, there's guys that are more ready to play early, and there are guys that may need a year or two. It's 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 really dependent on the player. Um, it should not hinder his development, whether he gets thrown out there and doesn't perform up to speed, or whether he sits for a year and and learns a system and, and continues to see how to uh, prepare. You know, it's it's not the end of the world if he doesn't play another snap. If he starts every game and doesn't do very well, it's good experience for him. So you can argue both sides of the coin right here. And no matter what we do with him, we're going to be wrong. So it doesn't really matter. So uh, <laughs> my view is, is I got to do what's best for him and what's best for this football team and what I think is best. And uh, we'll decide that here shortly. All right. So I'm going to tell you what uh, how I responded this morning, and I'm going to do the same here on the podcast, and and then let you have your piece. First of all. He's clearly frustrated. He's hearing the criticism. I'm, the, the Lewis Riddick thing, I think, blew up in a big way. He's hearing that. I don't think that Jay Gruden's sabotaging Dwayne Haskins. It's not the way I feel. I don't think that he, you know, that he reeks of an agenda. We know that the football people did not have Dwayne Haskins rated at 15 or higher. But the owner did, so the owner made the pick. It upset the football people, there's no doubt. I do not think, however, that Jay Gruden stuck Dwayne Haskins out there on Sunday to say, Dan, you picked him, guess what? He sucks, and you're going to see it right now. And, he, and put him out there without much preparation or before he was ready. I don't think Jay's doing that with Dwayne Haskins. It's not what I think... Um, he's up to here because I have heard multiple times that unlike Griffin, where everybody couldn't stand Griffin, you know, any, any the adults anyway, the adults in the room, however few of them there were, coaching staff, etc., got to the point where Griffin was so off-putting. You know, Jay Gruden did that interview with Albert Breer on NFL.com where he threw him under the bus like no coaches ever 
thrown a player under the bus in 2014. I've not heard that that's the case with Dwayne. In fact, I've heard the opposite, that he's a really good kid and everybody likes him. You know, Jay may think that he is a long-term project and that he's got a long way to go, um, but I don't think Jay in the moment the other day with, by the way, Haskins being the only other quarterback that was dressed or could dress the other day, being the backup, putting him in the game after Keenum had missed two long bombs to, to a wide-open Trey Quinn, I don't personally, I didn't view that as sabotage. What I think Jay Gruden wants right now is he wants one last shot with the guy over the last couple of years anyway that he thinks gives him the best chance to win. I think Tommy, he was in many ways giddy um, going into that Dallas Thanksgiving Day game last year after Alex Smith had gotten hurt four days previously against the Texans. Obviously, it was a gruesome injury, and nobody wished any of that on Alex Smith, but I think Jay Gruden believed that the offense was going to take off with Colt McCoy. And if you go back and watch that Dallas game, it was much different offensively. Now, he threw some back-breaking picks in the second half, but they moved the ball at a better pace through the air than they had really with Alex Smith. But again, Colt got injured like he always does, and he didn't get to realize his dream, which was Colt McCoy leading the Redskins to the playoffs and eventually the Super Bowl. Our dream, not your dream. <laughs> our, our dream. Yeah. Well, I would have been so into that. I, I don't. I didn't care who did it, but I think that he's at that point where he realizes his days are numbered. And by the way, whether it's at the end of the year or it's Monday or two weeks from now, he knows he's done. I just think he wants a he wants another shot to at least be competitive offensively, and he believes Colts the guy that gives him that chance. Now, I don't know that he thinks he's going to beat the Patriots, um, but he certainly believes that Colt McCoy gives him the best chance to be a competitive offensive team. And he wants to see it well, you know, one more time and have one more shot at it with Colt. That's what I think he wants right now. And I don't think he's not thinking about Dwayne Haskins' future. I just think right now he's like, how at 0-4 do we even have a chance against the Patriots on offense? The only guy that gives us a chance right now is Colt. You know, I, I agree with you to some extent. Uh, I don't think there was any agenda for Jay putting uh, Dwayne Haskins in the game, like you pointed out. He was the backup quarterback. I mean, well, I mean, if if you're not going to put him, if if you can't put him in a game, you don't dress him. So I mean, I I don't buy the Lewis Riddick thing, but I think I think uh, again, we don't know anything about what Jay's thinking. I think it's possible. He could feel, and no matter how good a kid Dwayne Haskins supposedly is, again, there are forces at work, just like there were forces at work with Griffin, that are around the kid, that are above the kid, that are, that are going to create problems for the kid. And I think Jay Gruden probably has some resentment, and that particularly after the Lewis Riddick report, thinking that, you know, I mean... This this kid has people who are out to get me. I think I think Jay probably has some resentment with 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 this with this with the Dwayne Haskins movement. Yeah, I, I, I can see what I you're think, saying with the, with the Riddick stuff. It sounded like it was coming from somewhere and not just yeah. Lewis Riddick. Yeah, and I, I think I think I think Jay is Jay is a guy who easily resents 
things. I mean, probably takes it very personally and easily resents it. So, so I think he's got some resentment. That's not necessarily against Dwayne personally, but against th- this whole notion that he, he's got to play. And I think he's only going to dig his heels in deeper since he has nothing to lose, but, you know, against that. So he's not setting him up, but I think, I think he thinks he's a, he, there, he is not going to let Lewis Riddick or anyone connected with Haskins and Haskins tell him what to do with, that, with his quarterback. And I think he's going to dig his heels in on that. You know, I I wish um, the follow-up question to his comments on Haskins, where he lays out, you know, sort of the two paths, right? You know, you can sit and learn or you can play and get the – you know, the direct experience and learn too. You know, he suggested that, you know, both of those things can work. I think the follow-up question to that is, well, which of those two do you think best works for Dwayne? You know, I mean, I think we all know – that there, you know, you can play and get experience, or maybe you can sit and somehow learn something. Um, but which is better for Dwayne? I, I, because I do think it would be, you know, you'd learn something from the answer. Look, the bottom line is, and I've mentioned this a million times, over the last ten years, there have been twenty-four quarterbacks picked in the top half of the first round of the draft. Twenty of them have started their first game before week five of their rookie year. The other four are Patrick Mahomes, we know that, Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, and so far, Dwayne Haskins, unless he starts Sunday, which I don't think either one of us thinks he will. So the trend here has been for coaches and organizations to determine that it's better that their young guy drafted in the top half of the first round gets experience on the job rather than experience in the classroom. So, I, I mean, I know that you can perhaps grow and get better somehow, but most teams now decide, no, we want to put our guy out there. We want him to learn through experience. And by the way, with Locker and Ponder, perhaps the reason they didn't start by week five and barely played in their rookie seasons is because they stunk. Because it turned out they really couldn't play and weren't very good. Um, neither one of them's in football now. And with Mahomes, we know the Mahomes thing. The Chiefs started 6-0, and and I personally believe that if, the, if Mahomes had played his rookie year, maybe the Chiefs would have won a few playoff games rather than getting eliminated in the first round. But that, that follow-up question wasn't asked. The other thing, too, for me, Tommy, is this. I think Colt McCoy's going to start. I want Dwayne Haskins to start. A- absent of the following, hearing the following, which you would never hear publicly. Absent of hearing Kevin. The guy's not putting in the work. The guy's not getting any better. The guy's a major long-term project. If we put him on the field, we can't operate a professional offense. We can't evaluate other people offensively. Not to mention the fact he's going to get himself hurt. You know, and I don't think that they would tell me that. I, I haven't heard that. I don't think they would say it to you. I don't think they would say it to us. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't think he's a project, but there's got to be something that Jay Gruden can put out there for Dwayne Haskins to get him live bullet real game experience over these last three quarter the last three quarters of the season. There's so many things that can be done with these young quarterbacks. You cut the playbook in half, 
you know, if reading defenses and getting them in the right protection schemes are so important, they can go with nothing but hot routes. You know, they can they can they move away from Max Protect and have him throw hot on every throw. So he's not literally reading out: is it cover one? Is it cover two? Is it cover three? There are lots of things that Jay Gruden could do. You know, to make him more comfortable, and to get him playing time the rest of the way. That's my big problem with this. Again, if somebody called me up after hearing me say this on radio or hearing me say this on the podcast from the organization and say, Kev, uh, off the record, look, he, he's, he, can't, he can't do it. I mean, plus he's not putting in the work. He's not, you know, he's not, he's not here early, leaving late. He's not putting in all the work. He's not getting it. He, he can't function. You know, he's a great kid, but he can't function right now. He's 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 a year away minimum. Unless I heard that, I want him to play. Okay, I'll try to look. Here's 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 a problem that that that, that uh, I'm, I'm encountering. You know, I forget my thoughts in between the time you start talking and the time that you're done. So, you so better I'm start writing to, them down. That's what I do when you're I'm, talking. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to start writing them down. That's what I do. I when you're talking, I write them down. Look, Aaron, look at all my notes as I'm writing down okay. when Tommy's talking because I, I won't okay. forget. you got to have a pad okay, and first, paper, a pen and paper in front of you. Okay. Because trust first me, you all, drone on and on too occasionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Here, all the quarterbacks that you brought up before, I think this is a difference. There weren't three choices there to be made. There's three choices for Jay Gruden with the Redskins. In other words, if there was no Case Keenum or if there was no Cole McCoy, this would be a lot easier. But, but I mean, most of the quarterbacks that you brought up, like the quarterbacks that are usually thrown into play, the coaches don't usually have three choices. There's two choices. So I think that complicates everything. Now, the other thing is, if Jay Gruden starts him against the Patriots, is his agenda to damage the kid? Or if Jay Gruden doesn't start him against uh, Haskins against the Patriots, is his agenda to hold him back? You'll hear people make both cases. You'll hear people say, well, if he starts him against the Patriots, he's putting them out there to get killed. He's put, like, like Lewis Riddick said, he's putting them out there to fail. You know, so I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Jay can't win. If yeah. he starts him, he's got an agenda. If he doesn't start him, he has an agenda. And this is drive. And, and that's and that has nothing. You know, the kid may have nothing to do with driving that narrative, but people around him do, and that's what's pissing Jay Gruden off. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. The whole, you know, he's he's pissed off because. You know that in that last comment, you know, he's going to be wrong either way. Is yeah. is is sensitive to the criticism, which, by the way, what you're saying, he probably thinks are coming from people that are close to the kid, and and, and that, probably people in in his own building. Yeah, and, and maybe even people in his own building. And for him, he's like, look, I've I've been a coach forever. I've coached quarterbacks forever. I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle these situations. And he's probably very frustrated. And by the way, I think your point, and I wrote this one down as you were going on and on, um, I 
<laughs> wrote down the three choices thing because I actually think that's a really good point. I would just say to you what I said to you in the summer. I'd get rid of the third choice so it's not a temptation. Like this is this was a mistake to I have a third choice. You. Yes. I mean, you know, there, there's no debate. There's no argument. You know, it's either one guy or the other. And, and I mean, the, the three choices, particularly one of those choices being Colt McCoy, you know, that piece of candy that Jay Gruden can't ignore, uh, complicates everything. Yeah. All right. Um, well, you're not going to be here or be back on the show until Tuesday. Um, you, answer this question. Do you think Colt McCoy will be the starter Sunday? Oh, yes. All right. Absolutely. I absolutely do. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I can't believe I'm not going to be there for it. Oh yeah, I can't believe I won't be there for it. It'll be funny because I mean, if he survives the game, which, by the way, we'll get odds on tomorrow as to whether or not he'll actually take every snap in the game, he'll be looking for you in the press conference afterwards. He'll be I like, know. where's my dad? Where's Tommy? <laughs> um, You know, I forget if we did this together on Tuesday, but can you imagine... If he starts Colt McCoy, and McCoy puts up a 290-yard, three-touchdown, no-pick day, they score 31, and they're in a game late with a chance to beat the Patriots. Oh, yeah, we talked about this. And we talked about how, how unbelievable that – I mean, the most unbelievable part is I would miss that. I mean, I, you know, even – I mean, but uh, but we both know that that's, that's you know – like, uh, you know, not all fairy tales uh, end with happy endings. And this one's not going to end with a happy ending for Colt, what, unfortunately. What if Sunday the Nats win, the Redskins win, and the Mystics win? How, does the, the, how do the Washington Times and Washington Post handle their front page? Well, the Redskins are clearly inside on page two. That, that's, that's the obvious thing. If they beat so, the Patriots. No, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What what which one of them would be on the front page of the paper? Not just the front page of the, not a not the sports section. Uh, if the Redskins beat the Patriots, they're on page one. What if the Nats eliminate the Dodgers Sunday night, and they win the series? Then they're on page one. And then what is unless the some, what does the sports section look like? Kind of, well, then I, I don't know. That's the post-sports section. I don't care about their sports section. <laughs> Why would I care about their sports section? I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right. What else do you have? Uh, the Caps won last night. I watched. I actually watched a lot of the game. You know what? I mean, I love Joe B and Locker. They're awesome. It's such a great pairing, and it has been for so long, just like Buck and Phil were. Um, and I and I enjoy watching them. And you know, I don't watch a lot of regular season hockey. But last night I was watching because the you know St. Louis had the banner hanging thing from their Stanley Cup. It was a year later from when the Caps did it. Um, you know, last year for their season opener. And I, I watched a lot of the game. I mean, the American League game jumped out real quickly with Diaz hitting that home run in the first, and then hitting home run in the third. And that game was over early, almost like Milwaukee was over early, except Tampa never made a run back. Um, but I watched it. And I, first of all, and I was saying this to Aaron, and I know you don't care about this stuff, Tommy, the NBC family of networks do such a good job with hockey. It's just perfect. And Doc Emmerich is just so awesome to listen to call a game. Um, but anyway, uh, 
they uh, they they got they got an overtime winner from Verona to win the game. That's all I have on that game. Ovechkin, I in watching the game, it it seemed to me that the Caps dominated the Blues, but they went to overtime and won the game anyway. A lot of people picking the Caps, uh, Tommy, to be you know a deep into the postseason, if not a Stanley Cup winner. Well, okay, that's it. You on know, that. I mean, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to say? I know. You know, you want to you want to break down their third line? No. Um, they, they went out. They went out in the first round last year when everyone thought they were they were going to dominate. Right. You know, I mean, we're 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 so t- t- don't talk to me about but, the cash. By the way, you'll love October. you'll love this, and I'm going to find it real quickly. Um, I got one of those tweets from one of those people that didn't like that I said that I'm not a big Caps fan. Which I, I don't know if I said it with you on Tuesday or yesterday on the podcast. Yeah, I you did. I, no, you, you said it. You said it with me on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean I've said it a million times. I'm that's uh, of the four teams. That's the one that I don't have a lot of passion for. I'm not a big hockey guy, and I've just never been a huge Caps fan. Like I don't sit there and live and die on everything. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm looking for it and I can't find it. But uh, basically, I got one of those tweets that said, "I heard what you said about the Caps." If you're going to care so little and you're not going to root for the Caps, I'm not going to listen to your show anymore. You know, one of those. And, oh, my um, gosh. I hope you reach out to that person yeah, and smooth that over. I, I, I did. I, 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 I basically said I'm not going to – you know, I'm not. It's it's. It, look, you don't have a rooting interest in any of the local teams. There are other. I know. There are other talk show hosts. I know one on your station that is a 49ers fan, not a Redskins fan. Um, and I and and we've had that at our station before. That that's not why people. I mean, I think it is a benefit personally in local sports talk radio to be a fan of the teams and to really have an understanding of uh, of the teams, you know, and, and, and I am. I do have an understanding of the teams, and I root for every other team very passionately. But for whatever reason, I've just never been a big hockey fan. I love playoff hockey, but basically I just said, look, I'm not going to fake emotional investment in a team that I don't have it for. You know, they're a good team. I love playoff hockey. I just don't have the same feeling when they lose or win that I do for other teams. And you know, yeah, whatever. He 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 got upset. He said it rubbed him the wrong way. I'm sorry about that, but I, that's the way I feel. I did watch the game last night, however, and I am amazed by Ovechkin, who at 34 years old and counted out pretty much before the Stanley Cup Finals and the Stanley Cup winning season, has probably played some of his best hockey the last two seasons and it looks like you know based on last night he may be in line for another great year he's he's an all-time great dc athlete right he's he's very close to being mount rushmore as an all-time dc athlete oh i think he is on mount rushmore i mean he's not the greatest athlete in the history of the town but he's he's among the i think he he is he is a mount rushmore and he is one of the greatest hockey players uh, certainly of his time or you know, who is uh, who is the Mount Rushmore of just athletes? Take coaches out of the, the equation. Are you going to well, give me again, Sammy Bond, Walter Johnson? Because I, I yes, I, yes. Oh Jesus! How can you not Sammy Ball? <laughs> there's no Washington Redskins without Sammy Ball. He won two NFL championships in every list of great NFL players. He's in the top ten. Every list. Okay. And Walter Johnson's only the greatest right-hander in the history of Major League Baseball pitchers. So are you going to leave them off? 
because they didn't happen before <laughs> you were born. You know, since you were born before Sheehan, they don't count. Um, well, that's your thing. Before Sheehan doesn't count. Um, okay, uh, what, fine. Then let's. Deb- so if oh. it's if if it's Sammy Ball, Walter Johnson, and Alex Ovechkin, th- then we can just right now. Let's a very quick debate. Who would be the fourth and final one on that Mount Mount Rushmore? That's that's a tough one. That's a bit of a, a tough. It's got to be. A, uh, it's got to be a player from one of the pro teams. Yeah, I get that. I, I understand that. And it's got to be one of the uh, four major teams. Okay, you can't yes. give me Johan Cruyff. No, it, I mean, look, uh, people would say Rigo. I think. I, I think people, people might, might say, say Rigo. People might say Daryl Green. I think people might say Daryl Green. There, there's another one that I that immediately popped into my head, and that okay, is. Look. Selvin Hayes. I don't think anyone's going to buy into. Elvin I don't Hayes. care whether anybody else buys into it. I'm telling you what I think. Elvin Hayes well, you're, is, is the you're greatest NBA. Pl- he's the greatest NBA player in the history of this city. I get that, but your Mount Rushmore is a pebble if you put Elvin Hayes on it. <laughs> uh, okay, so but, but just you would put him ahead of John Wall, Gilbert Arenas, and Wes Unseld, wouldn't you? In the in terms of the greatest, ahead, no, no, I wouldn't put ahead of West Unseld. Oh, West Unseld won an MVP and a rookie in of Baltimore. The year. In Baltimore, okay, okay, in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him ahead of West. Okay, so if, when you I do your Baltimore West. Mount Rushmore, you can put West Unseld on there with Cal Ripken and Johnny Unitas, and I'm I, I'm sure I can come up with the fourth here if you give me some time, Eddie Murray. <laughs> um, but I. Yeah, Rigo and probably Daryl Green because Daryl Green was probably a better all-time great at his position. No, they're both they're both equal. Green yeah. and and Rigo are probably equal. And I know yeah. I've mentioned this to you previously. I'm always f- fascinated why Ken Houston doesn't get his due as one of the all-time great Redskins. He is consistently, when you see the list of the greatest safeties yes. in NFL history, yes. he's in the top five. And, and there's no yes, other player in Redskins history other than Sammy Baugh that you can say that about. No, you're right. Absolutely. And I think he played 12 years in the NFL, seven of which were with the Redskins. Yeah, so, five yeah. in Houston. I mean, I'm, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't get his due, absolutely. Yeah, But he's um, not on Mount Rushmore. Right. You know what? You're on my route, Mount Rushmore of radio sports. No, I'm not. Host, no, buddy. I'm not. But you, yes, are, you are. You are on my Mount Rushmore of columnists. <laughs> you are, and sports talk hosts. Um, yes, you are. Uh, all right. Real quickly before we run today, um, I do have a smell test pick tonight, uh, Tommy. I think I've told you this. Maybe I didn't the other day. The smell test is on a bit of a a bit of a heater. Thirty eight. And one over the last three weeks. Wow. It's an unbelievable. All, yeah, it's all time. I was twelve and three last week. Nine and zero oh two weeks ago. Nine five and one in between. So that's thirty eight and um, well, one over the last five. three weeks. Thirty six fifteen and one for the season. So wow. I am, I'm helping people. You know, pay some bills and 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 a yes. lot more. Um, I like Seattle tonight laying the point and a half at home against the Rams. I don't like – and Aaron, I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't like these Thursday night games. I think they're very unpredictable when it comes to betting them. Uh, but there's a lot of public action on the Rams, and there's super sharp action from what I was told late last night on the Seahawks. And it sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with what I've been thinking. Remember, I, I picked Seattle to win the division 
Um, and I thought the Rams might have a step back year, um, maybe a playoff year, but not as good as last year. And I think we've seen some chinks in the Rams armor. You know, last week, definitely. Tampa Bay, by the way, Tommy, just as a quick aside. Oh, my God, we didn't do NFL power rankings today. We haven't done NFL power rankings. Cue up the and intro. we're not going to. Yes, we are. We're not going to. No, I'm not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Why? I'm not doing it because I don't feel like doing it. <laughs> do you know how hard it is to do this week? I- I'm not doing it. Get prepared right now. You're going to do it. I'm, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. I'm making you do it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yes, you are. You're going to do it. No, I'm not. All right, fine. You don't have to do it. I um. All right. I was just going to tell you that I think uh, you know after New England and Kansas City, it actually gets very hard this week. It's not as obvious it's, as it's been because the Rams got beat fifty-five to forty last week by Tampa Bay. And what I was going to say before you know we we basically excused ourselves from doing NFL power rankings today is that the Buccaneers right now are a Vegas favorite. I mean, the the Vegas odds makers love themselves some Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They their 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 numbers on futures, their line this week at New Orleans is three. It's super short. You saw it opened at Five and a half, six, and it's down to three and yeah. a half, three. Yeah, well, that, I think that's a, a couple of weeks ago opening no, number. No, I, no, I'm pretty sure that was Sunday's There's number. There's no way we had a nine-point move from Sunday. Not nine, three-point move. You, five, I thought, five and a half, six, oh, two, oh, three and oh, a half, Oh, that's three. right. New yeah. Orleans was six, down to yeah. three. Okay, that, that it, my, my fault. Yes, so, um, yeah, that's very possible. I've seen, Aaron, on some of these sites, they've had some lines from a couple of weeks ago that they've indicated was the opening line. Right. I only want to look at the Sunday, you know, the the late Sunday night opening line to see where, where the movement is, not from a few weeks ago. But anyway, um, Vegas loves Tampa. They And the Buccaneers, they got some talent. They've got a coach offensively. They've got a defensive coach in Bowles. Um, they go to New Orleans You're next. You're next. Your next Washington Redskins head coach, I predict. Yeah, I predicted that too. Um, thanks yeah. for listening to the show. Well, uh, did, did you see an well, offshore? I mean, I, I, th- I think I had that before you. <laughs> I don't think you did. Th- this is. I think I did. This no, is interesting. You know, offshore, you're, you're I think you got it from me, but that's okay. You can't remember no, anything. No, you got to write it you're, down. You're, you're off my Mount Rushmore. List. <laughs> Good. I don't want to be on yours. Speaking of that, uh, an offshore book put up a list for Redskins coach week one of next year. The favorite is a Tampa Bay coach, but it's not Todd Bowles. I know, I know. It's Byron Leftwich. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Leftwich. Not is... a lot of lists out there that have Bowles on it. Yeah, uh, I. Well, the reason I said it and you grabbed onto it and ran with it is because Joe is because Joe Gibbs likes Todd Bowles a lot, and I think we both believe that Dan's got one place to turn. Um, when he gets rid of everybody, hopefully, and that's Coach Joe. He just doesn't have many people uh, that he can uh, rely on or go to for. You do for realize him. this is not this is not true. I do realize what that, I've been that, talking I about. Todd Bowles as the next head coach for a while now. I've been talking about Todd Bowles as the next head coach when he was coaching the Jets. I was talking about Todd Bowles as the defensive coordinator, as a great defensive coordinator and a guy I've loved for, I don't know, four years now, and you definitely you grabbed onto that that trend, which is fine. You do that a lot, <laughs> and, I, and I sometimes <laughs> take I some of your ideas. About, it's okay. I was talking about Todd Bowles 
as the next head coach when he was still playing for the Redskins. <laughs> I was talking about Todd Bowles as the next Redskins head coach when they drafted Todd Bowles back in 1986 or whatever year it was. All right, I'm done with you. Um, anyway, Seattle is a smell test minus one and a half uh, tonight. Um, I'm pretty sure the smell test is going to crash and burn this week, Aaron. You know why? Because I love the board, and that is probably a kiss of death, the kiss of death for the weekend. But stay tuned uh, tomorrow, or tune in tomorrow, because I'll have my complete smell test for the weekend. Seattle tonight, minus one and a half. By the way, I'd lean South Alabama as well against Georgia, Georgia Southern, but that's not an official smell test pick. Tommy, thank you. Appreciate it. Enjoy tonight. Enjoy tomorrow night. Um, and I will talk, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll read your column that you just wrote and everybody read Tommy's columns, follow him on Twitter and you can link right to the columns from there, but we'll talk, uh, together on the show on Tuesday, but I'm sure I'll talk to you before then. All right, boss. Take care. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Apple podcasts, rate us, review us also subscribe. That helps. It doesn't cost you a thing and remind people that would like to listen to the podcast that they can listen to it on the Kevin Sheehan show.com. Also, just a reminder I'm back on radio on ESPN 980, not ESPN 980, the Team 980, All right, which, by the way, we're also on FM right now, 99.5, which is an FM signal that some of you will get perfectly and some of you won't, um, but I'm on 7 to 10 a.m. in the morning. Have a great day. Enjoy the Nats game tonight.